Good evening. Uh, if you have your Bible, you could open to Romans chapter 11. I won't be preaching from the Word. I'll be sharing my testimony. But there's uh, verses that uh, sometimes help me explain my testimony to people. What it is that the Lord has had to do in my life to bring me to Him. Uh, for those of you who don't know, I'm from a Jewish background and uh, also Israeli in that I, I grew up in Israel. And to many uh, Christians, that seems as an advantage. Uh, they think, boy, you know, here's one of God's people. We read about them in the Old Testament. It should be a really easy transition to simply believe in Jesus. And... Uh, there's a verse that uh, says the otherwise in Romans chapter 11. Romans chapter 11 verse 25 says, For I do not desire, brethren, that you should be ignorant of this mystery, lest you should be wise in your own opinion, that hardening in part has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. And in this context, Paul is writing to perhaps Gentiles, that were thinking, boy, those Jews are so dumb. How could they have missed this? And uh, Paul is clarifying here that blindness in part has happened to Israel as a consequence of the rejection of the Messiah. It was a form of judgment of God against them. So being a Jew today isn't an advantage. It's technically a disadvantage as far as knowing the Lord. Having said that, I should, I should uh, say that the Lord is, is faithful uh, I'll go back to verse 1 of chapter 11. I say then, has God cast away his people? Certainly not, for I also am an Israelite of the seed of Abraham, of the tribe of Benjamin. God has not cast away his people whom he foreknew. Or do you not know what the scripture says of Elijah? How he pleads with God against Israel, saying, Lord, they have killed your prophets and torn down your altars. And I alone am left, and they seek my life. But what does the divine response say to him? I have reserved for myself 7,000 men who have not bowed the knee to Baal. Even so, then at this present time there is a remnant according to the election of grace. And if by grace, then is it no longer of works, otherwise grace is no longer grace. But if it is of works, then it is no longer grace, otherwise work is no longer work. What then? Israel has not obtained what it seeks, but the elect have obtained it, and the rest were hardened, just as it is written. God has given them a spirit of stupor, eyes that they should not see, and ears that they should not hear to this very day. And David says, Let their table become a snare and a trap a stumbling block and a recompense to them. Let their eyes be darkened that they may not see and bow down their back always. I said, say then, have they stumbled that they should fall? Certainly not, but through their fall to provoke them to jealousy, salvation has come to the Gentiles. Now if their fall is riches for the world and their failure riches for the Gentiles, how much more their fullness. For I speak to you Gentiles inasmuch as I am an apostle to the Gentiles. I magnify my ministry 
if by any means I may provoke to jealousy those who are my flesh and save some of them. And I'll stop there. And what this passage talks about is uh, what Paul uh, calls the elect or uh, the group of, of uh, the children of Israel or Jews that God has preserved to this day. Over the last 2,000 years since Israel has rejected the Messiah, God has preserved for himself a remnant, a number of Jews that are faithful. It might be few, like in the days of Elijah, being only 7,000 men, but God is faithful and he has preserved it. Now, it doesn't make it easy for those who happen to be of those that God has preserved. As I look back at my history, it's hard for me to imagine a person being farther from God than where I was. Uh, I mentioned already being a Jew wasn't an advantage. Uh, it, it came with partial blindness. Uh, I was told early on that Jesus is not the way. Uh, he's uh, a false prophet. He was teaching things that were not true. And so I never really considered Jesus. The only connection I had with Jesus was that of persecution. Uh, over the years, um, one of the strategies of the devil against the propagation of the gospel has been using people who call themselves Christians to persecute Jews. And as a result, uh, Jews felt that Jesus wasn't just a false prophet. He was somehow responsible for anti-Semitism over the ages. And there may be other forms of blindness that have been uh, been put over the Jews that have prevented them from perhaps receiving Christ as easily. Uh, I had additional ones. Uh, for one, I was raised in a kibbutz. Many of you may not know what a kibbutz is. A kibbutz is... Um, equivalent to a commune. Now, mo many of you might be too young to know what communes are. Communes are uh, typically small communities where everybody uh, tries to live the socialist dreams, and instead of uh, working for yourself, you work for the community. And the community is supposed to take care of you. It's, it's one of the forms of socialism. Instead of capitalism, instead of me working for myself, I work for the community. And the society is supposed to take care of me at the same time. Well, Unfortunately, that idea might be very good, but it came with some bad baggage. The same person who propagated it, who happened to have been a Jew from a Christian background, uh, was named Karl Marx. And Karl Marx uh, was known for a book he wrote uh, that propagated communism or socialism. And in it, he propagated the idea that religion was the opium of, of the masses. That is, rich people spread religion to get poor people to believe in it, and be more concerned about heaven while the rich people could go around and take all the goods that was provided on earth. And that was what Karl Marx was trying to fight against, capitalism. So he was, was trying to connect religion with that. So I came really being taught not just the, all the argument that uh, Judaism had against Christ, but also all the arguments that communism had against Christ. Uh, to add to that, I, I moved to the U.S., and I went to school at Berkeley. <laughs> so there I was, a Jew, an atheist, going to school at Berkeley. And I remember uh, I was invited to a Bible study in my freshman year when I was at Berkeley. And they were studying the passage in Acts that might be familiar to some of you, where uh, Peter was uh, uh, in the house of Simon the uh, tanner, and uh, God is about to open the door to the Gentiles. 
And he already appealed to Cornelius, and he sent a delegation after Peter, and God was working to prepare Peter to, in a sense, receive Gentiles into the family of God. And he does it with a vision where a sheet comes down from heaven with uh, all kinds of creatures that were not kosher to eat. And he says, rise, Peter, kill and eat. And let me back up. He says that Peter was very hungry, and he asked for some food to be prepared. So while he's very hungry, he falls into this trance, and this sheet with the, these uh, unkosher creatures is, is lowered down, and, and God says, or Christ says, Peter, uh, rise, kill, and eat. And Peter says no. And uh, that's, I think, more or less what that Bible study left it off. I mean, it's repeated three times. And there was a question that the Bible study leader asked, well, what do you think this means? Well, I was ready to jump in there because me being a good Jew, being taught that Jesus wasn't the way and that he was a false prophet, I immediately started going into how, well, this was some excuse that the apostles were using of why you can eat non-kosher food so to make it the message of the gospel more attractive to the Gentiles who liked eating non-kosher food anyways, which wasn't the meaning of the passage. I appreciate the Lord. Recently, I was reading the same passage and realizing that the Lord was here communicating to Peter the need of extending the gospel to the Gentiles was, in essence, communicating to Peter how he felt about it. The Lord was hungry for the Gentiles, and uh, he wasn't going to eat them. It was his love. The Lord was seeking people to know him and to have a relationship with them. And he was looking at a world full of Gentiles and the heart of the Lord was going out to them and he was using that to communicate to Peter that fact of how much he wanted it. And later it says Peter understood it. He said, I now understand that, that God doesn't have respect of person. He wants everyone. He doesn't want me to call anyone unclean. Everyone should be welcome to the gospel. And uh, that was God's interest in me. That's how God was seeking me out. So... That's a little bit about my background. Let me tell you what God used to bring somebody like me that was so far back to the Lord. Or, I shouldn't say back to the Lord, but to come to have that relationship that he was hungry for. And it started with a pretty girl. Um, you've seen my wife, and, and she was the one. Uh, and I should, I should start by saying I don't believe in evangelistic dating. That's not what the Bible teaches. And my wife will probably be happy to share with you if you have thoughts about it. You think of going and dating an unbeliever person hoping that they'll become saved and that you can marry them. Uh, she could probably uh, give you some uh, feedback of why you should not go that way. It doesn't work. But in this case, the Lord did use me. Because of my interest in her, I was willing to go to her church. And in her church, I, I went to uh, Sunday school. I, again, I was an atheist. I didn't go to church seeking God. I went to church seeking a wife or a pretty girl. But God used something to capture me, which again is in Romans chapter 11. We actually read it twice in both verse 11 and verse 14. I, said, I say then, have they stumbled that they should fall? Certainly not, but through their fall to provoke them to jealousy, salvation has come to the Gentiles. Now, God always wanted to save the Gentiles. But in his particular plan of saving both Jews and Gentiles, he uses the rejection of the Jews, of the Jews rejecting him, to go after the Gentiles so that a Jew 
will look at what the Gentiles are getting and get jealous and want the same thing. And that's what happened to me. I went and I, I wasn't interested in God, but I went and I sat in a Sunday school and I saw Gentiles opening the Bible that God gave to my people. And I knew it was the book that God gave to my people because we were studying it in Israel, not as a book about God, but as a history text. Just as, you know, ancient Israel, this is what happened. They, they managed to mostly take God out of it, but there was still the history that they wanted us to learn. So I knew this was my book. And here I could tell the Gentiles that were studying this book in Sunday school were getting a lot more out of it than me and my classmates in Israel. And I started getting jealous. Um, and uh, that started me really seeking seriously after God. And I won't go into all the details, but God started showing me the evidence for his existence. Uh, remember, I was an atheist. So that's really the first place God had to show me. And it wasn't as hard for God as you'd expect it is. And uh, the next uh, step that he really had to take me through was that of Jesus. So I was willing to believe that God existed. I was willing to have an interest in God. But Jesus was another matter. Remember, I had this big barrier I carried with me, this baggage of being Jewish. And uh, I didn't want to believe that Jesus was the Messiah. I, I wasn't interested in Jesus. So one of the elders in my church took me through some prophecies in the Old Testament. Uh, you'd know some of them, Isaiah 53, about the suffering servant, a picture of the Lord suffering for our sins. Daniel chapter 9, a prophecy of the Messiah being cut off for his people. And in there, there's a prophecy of the weeks that actually give you a schedule of when it's supposed to happen. And I couldn't argue. I looked at these prophecies, and I, as a reasonable person, again, I had to acknowledge, Jesus must be the Messiah. But there was something still missing. So there was the evidence of him being the Messiah, but I was still like the Jews of old, with all the evidence of him being the Messiah, I still felt in my heart, I will not have this man to rule over me. I didn't want to yield my, myself to him. I felt he came to be the king, because that was the Jewish perception of the Messiah. And I didn't want him as the king of my life. But, I already started calling myself a Christian because I believed that he was the Messiah. And, I, and that's, Messiah means Christ. So I thought, well, if I believe he's the Messiah, I must be a Christian now. And I started going to other Bible studies. I went to a Bible study by Jews for Jesus. And in that Bible study, they started going through the book of Romans. The book we're in. And uh, they were studying chapter 3. And we were studying uh, a section that contained verse 25, which reads, Whom God set forth to be a propitiation by His blood through faith to demonstrate His righteousness, because in His forbearance God had passed over the sins that were previously committed. If you have a hard time understanding that verse, you're in good company. That's where I was in that Bible study. I couldn't understand that verse, and uh, I used to pride myself. I was a uh, straight-A student, and I thought I could figure anything out, but I couldn't figure out what that verse means. And in the moment I gave up trying to understand that verse, God opened my understanding to what it is. And I don't get into visions. Uh, I'm not particularly charismatic, but the Lord used something like um, a vision to help me understand, or a daydream, just a picture of what that verse means. And in that picture, 
I found myself seated in a court of law, and God was the judge. And before him was opened the book of my life. And for the first time in my life, I started to feel as a sinner. Up to that point, I didn't know the fear of being a sinner before God. I didn't take God seriously. I didn't take my sins seriously. And God sent the Holy Spirit, or Christ sent the Holy Spirit into the world for that purpose, to convict man of sin and of judgment. And God did it to me in that moment. I realized I was a sinner. I realized that I was under judgment. It was like the floor dropped under me. And all of a sudden, I heard somebody in the back of the court say, I'm willing to pay the penalty instead of this man. And I remember as if turning to God and asking, is that okay? Can that person take the, the, pay the penalty in my place? And it was as if God turned back to me and said, is that okay with you? And then I realized that is all that Christ was trying to get out of me. He wasn't trying to force himself upon me as a king. And it's not that he's not a king. He was offering me his salvation. He was hungry for a relationship with me. That is what God wants from us. It isn't some sort of obedient servant. It is people to have a relationship with me. With him, And that was the night that my heart broke for the Lord and when I truly became a Christian. And that is uh, my, my hope and prayer for any here that hasn't experienced that relationship. That's really what God wants from you is to have a relationship with you.